Welcome for another great episode of Talk to Tatiana. This is Tatiana Sawyer, and today I have Shannon Weinstein. Shannon, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and where you are in the world. So I am a CPA and also a fractional CFO. I am between Connecticut and Costa Rica. I happen to be in Connecticut right now today. And um, I serve small business owners, helping them keep more of what they earn. And I also have a podcast by that name, Keep What You Earn, that uh, just reached over 300 episodes. Awesome. Terrific. And what's the most rewarding part of your work? And actually, you know what, before we even talk about that, how did you get started in this business? So I became an accountant because I lost a bet with my dad um, because nobody, everybody, everyone has a good accountant origin story, right? So, um, cause that's what we dreamed of in kindergarten was like, we draw pictures of CPAs instead of superheroes. Right. So I, my dad was a CPA and I had to take these classes in high school. Um, they, they were called like practical arts and fine arts. Like you had to take a creative and then you had to take a more practical, like technical, we had typing. So that ages me. Um, so now typing is with your thumbs instead of this, but, uh, we basically had to take these classes and I ended up taking accounting because my dad said, Hey, take this class. If you hate it, I'll never ask you again. If you want to become an accountant when you grow up and if you love it, you have to major in it. And I was like, deal, I'm going to hate this. And you're never going to bug me again. And I think we know how that turned out. But I ended up loving it. I ended up tutoring it in college. And I was actually really passionate about growing as an accountant, passing the CPA exam, and uh, having a career in accounting in some way, shape, or form. Awesome. Love it. Uh, that story I haven't heard before. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, young people today are... Um, because parents are like taught to ask um, kids questions like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Many people, I've read this in the book uh, just recently, say, choose this career. Like, I wanted to be a doctor when I was 10 because my parents were both doctors. But, you know, thank God I didn't hold myself to it because I can't stand the sight of blood. Like, this is a big deal for me. <laughs> so I think that that question just needs to be stopped in general because it doesn't lead to anything good. People think that you can only get satisfaction from a career, but sometimes, and I consider myself in the same boat as you are, um, sometimes we find ourselves, like I feel that I'm lucky that I love what I do. Um, yeah. And it sounds like you are too. And so I think that it's it's a rare exception to uh, to this because actually 68% of people as of last year hate their jobs, which is not, you know, yeah, surprising. Yeah, I mean, and that doesn't mean they hate their careers or hate their profession. They may just hate who they work for or the circumstances or the location or the, the working hours, right? It's all, it's all one combined thing, but it's, it's really interesting because I wanted to be a teacher and it turns out that is what I do. I just teach this language. I teach the language of accounting and business to business owners and I still get my fulfillment from that, but it didn't have to be so literal to say, I like to teach people. Okay. How could you leverage teaching in a career where that is celebrated or where that makes you unique. And I think we don't do that enough. We don't try to integrate it into a profession. We just go, she likes to teach, teacher. Like we can't think beyond that literal translation. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Awesome. And so since this is in the spirit of how to piss off your accountant, tell us please mm -hmm. uh, what you do now in terms of uh, specifically how you support businesses so that we can get a little bit of a context of where what you're going to share comes from. 
Right. So I, I started in big four. Um, I've done everything from audit tax advisory. So I've done all of it right now. What I do is I run my own fractional CFO practice and it's me and a bunch of other women who happen to be moms and we work from home. We serve small business clients and try to help them reach their growth goals. And, um, I would say along those lines, right. The thing that pisses, that would piss off an accountant or we'll say pisses me off where I get frustrated is that people put accountants in one box, like one bucket. They say accountant, and that means 12 different people. Like they say doctor, and it's like, well, what kind, what flavor of doctor? Because like there's a pediatrician and a plastic surgeon and a dermatologist and a podiatrist, they're specialists. But they say accountant, and everyone seems to think either a tax pro or bookkeeper. They use accountant to describe everybody, no matter what their specialty is, which makes it really challenging when they try to hire somebody and the only descriptor they use is accountant. Yeah. So my, also, I agree with it. It's one of my bigger ones too. I'm, I'm hoping to change that with the work that I do, but I'm hoping to change this perception of accountants as fitting into that one box. And if you notice, if you look up any of my books, it doesn't have any of my CPA, MBA on it. Mm-mm. Um, and it has to do with the fact that I got, um, very much to be at peace with who I am and I don't need others to, to put me in the box just by seeing my CPA on the book. Cause then they'll think, oh, this book is boring, but it's actually not boring. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of stigma around it for sure. And there's a lot of commoditization and, um, yeah, I absolutely agree. And, and, um, I think that a lot of business owners also not only, um, not only do they put us in a box, they often don't even, well, first of all, they can't tell whether the work we're doing actually is meaningful um, and correct. Um, that's in part of the problem because garbage in, garbage out, nobody canceled that. But then also they can't um, know often what type of help they need. And so right. I think it may be like, do you have a solution of how people, business owners can overcome that? Yeah. I, I, I compare it to a menu at a restaurant and they just imagine if you went up to a waiter and you were like, I'm hungry. And the waiter was like, okay, what do you want though? Like, like make my job easier, please. What do you want to eat? There's a menu in front of you. What do you want? I think accountants need to do a better job of delivering the menu, making it easier to read, making it easier to understand what's included, what's not. Do you get avocado or not? All that stuff. And then there's also the, um, the side of the client asking questions. I think that they need to be interviewing their accountant. They need to fully understand the services they need first before the person. I think what they'll do is they hire the person because it's the easiest, most convenient guy down the street, my uncle's guy, my dad's guy, whatever. And then they come to the table and then it's like, uh, I didn't know I wasn't getting that. Or I just, I just thought I had, all I had to order was accounting. I didn't know I had to order sides. I didn't know I had to order specific things. I just ordered accounting. And that has a broad definition. And I think that people need to understand that what you need is very unique and different based on your business. I think both sides have to do better. The account, the accounting side has to do better about asking like, what do you really need? And actually advising on what they need, whether they can provide it or not. And saying, you really do need a payroll person. We don't cover that. Here are the blind spots we don't cover. And here are people we, we know and trust that you can use, right? But, but we don't do that, but you do need that. And most business owners have a blind spot of awareness where they don't know what they need, but the accountants, all they do is basically say, well, I don't do that. Or they'll just give them what they do without looking at their business holistically. Yeah. Awesome. And, um, how do you, what's the first thing you do when you work with a client as a fractional CFO and how do you, I guess, figure out or communicate to clients or 
Um, and the reason I'm asking this is because if somebody's listening, they're like, oh, this is me. I need a fractional CFL. I want them to have that connection, that light bulb that will go off in their, in their mind. So, so like what we do, so client comes in, we start immediately with goals. Like, what are your goals? We start with the client's goals first, not the what condition your book's in. What are the debits and credits? What are the deposits and transfers? What are the, like, we don't go to that level. We go to the level of what are your goals? Okay. And I just had a conversation with a client um, who said, I want to put my daughter through private school. Okay. We can assign dollars to that, right? That's very clear. Here's the flat out cost of that. What we do is we back into, well, then how much do you need to take home in cash flow out of your business to live your life personally the way you want to? And then we back into what profit level would it take to be able to achieve that? And therefore, what revenue level will it take to achieve that? We back into your revenue goals, and then we help you dissect that into actions, steps, and ways to hold yourself accountable to those goals. So it's not just like, I mean, you've heard this a million times, Tatiana, probably. It's like, what's your goal? Two million in revenue. Why? Why? <laughs> and they're like, I don't know. That just feels right. Or I don't know. That just feels like what I should do, right? Like like I made a million last year, so two million is my goal this year, right? Like, isn't that the, the, the trajectory, like the slope? And I'm like no, maybe a million is fine. Like maybe you don't have to grow your revenue. Maybe you need to work less hours and achieve the same target. Maybe you need to change how you're doing something else in your business or hire better people and achieve the same target. So it's about really getting into what are the goals? What are the metrics? What are the ways we can actually score keep you and hold you accountable to meeting those goals in a financial way? But we can look at the business holistically, speaking the language of business and saying, this is how it's actually impacting your money. Yeah. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with, with that. And um, can you give me a little bit, and me and, and the listeners, a little bit of an insight into what happens when you're not really in tune with your goals, when you don't understand? I mean, you gave an example of 2 million why, right? That's a really great example. Do you have other examples of when people don't realize, and I certainly have you know, a bunch of mine, but who wants to hear from me? People want to hear from others. Uh, <laughs> From others, so share if if any if you had situations where you've helped somebody realize that oh like I should have been thinking about this before or you know whatever whatever the situation was. Yeah, I actually just had a session with a client. She's a lawyer, so she was saying, "Well, I get all these referrals from this insurance provider, right? They give me half of my leads come through this insurance provider, so that's a really big amount of what I make. So I can't afford to let them go, but they're taking an eighty percent cut." before it gets to her. And I'm like, how are you making any effing money on this? And I looked at the numbers and she said, half the leads are coming in through this insurance provider. And you know what? We assume half the money is. Yeah. But when we actually ran the numbers, I was like, 10% of your revenue is coming through half your clients. Shop that off completely, doubles your capacity. You still maintain 90% of revenue. And then if you were to double that amount, it's actually an 80% growth. If you were to get rid of them. And she just sat back in her chair like, holy, you know what? I don't know if you can swear on the show, but like, holy crap, right? She goes, oh my God, they're fired tomorrow. This is done. We're done. I didn't realize I, like, they don't realize they have a bullet wound in the boat. They have no idea because it's just been there. Because they're, they're used to seeing it. It's used to the operations. And it's also fooling you by volume and not dollars. So you're getting a lot of sales from these people. But what does that actually mean? Because we, just like lawyers, we were programmed in big four and in public accounting to go, I am busy, therefore I am making money. Like I am utilized, <laughs> therefore I am making revenue. So she saw it as utilization 
Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm working. They're bringing me a lot of work and work equals money. No, it doesn't. Not when you're not charging for it. So that was a big realization for her. And one of those things where we also realized that all you need is two extra clients a month and get rid of this thing. And you're going to hit all your goals. And it was kind of this like aha moment after just like three hours together on our first call where we dug into that. And she was like, oh my God, I didn't never thought of it this way. But that's the thing is perspective that, that most business owners aren't thinking about because they're in it, that they can't zoom out and look over it and see what, what's actually happening and going on in their business. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent agree with that. And then they devalue kind of the accountant. What I found, and I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, absolutely. but, but um, what I found is that, you know, I do a lot of business coaching, a very specific business coaching where it's driven to grow your profit, not just cut expenses, not just make them more efficient, but actually drive higher profit with higher revenue and higher um, and lower cost per, per lead and all of those things. There's 40 plus strategies that I use that I work with. But what I found is that people are business owners are much more open to paying a coach 3,500 a month, 4,000 a month, 5,000 a month, then paying an accountant fifteen hundred a month, which is like my minimum fee. Yes, for- I've been nitpicked for my five hundred a month chart. Like, what am I getting for this? And then I look at their books, and I'm like, you're paying this dude five grand a month to tell you to like pay more in ads. Like, what? How does that work? And I just realize it's, it's really our marketing as accountants because we we're selling the need to haves, the compliance, the the tactical stuff. And yes, we do that, but actually show the value. And this goes back to like how to piss off your accountant. Assume they are nothing but a clerical compliance worker. They have a brain that is pretty powerful. And if you tell, you come to me and say, uh, will you do my taxes? It's it. So I actually use this on my website and my marketing, but I go, I'm not your April 15th one night stand. I, we have a relationship. I am wifey material. Like put a ring on it, AKA pay me my monthly charge. Because if you want the relation, people want the relationship without the commitment. People want the advice without paying for it. People want the, oh, I want the year round tax planning service, but I pay $200 for my tax return. And I'm like, you got to kind of pick and choose what you want here. Like you're going to, are you going to jump in and actually commit to it or not? And I literally put that on my website because I said, this is my marketing now is like, it is literally like dating. Like I'm not answering any more you up texts on April 14th, the proverbial, <laughs> Hey, I haven't had my taxes done. Are you free? That's how to piss off your accountant. The April 14th, you up text, because that, that, that diminishes our value. You don't realize when you treat us like we have nothing better to do than sit around at 11 p.m. waiting for you to come rescue us off our feet and do your taxes for you. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's absolutely, you know, I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, my firm doesn't take on once a year tax returns. We only work we with don't businesses. Either. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so absolutely, I'm in the same same way. We don't, you know, there is an average, I don't know if you know the statistic, but we've done a study, my husband and I, about 10 years ago, nine years ago. And I'm, sh- I'm sure it changed slightly since then, but um, but, but I don't know how, how much um, it changed. But the reality is that in the U.S., there is 916 tax clients per firm, including one-person firms. Yeah. And I only work with about 42 clients total. We do about 90 tax returns. And so 
um, I don't need 916. There's really not, no competition. And I feel like with accountants, it's like you're competing for my business. You are like, uh, you know, plenty this, to go around this attitude. Right. But it's, it's not about volume. It has never no. been about volume. It's about relationships because you know what the irony is, is that accountants think the best way to grow their practice is more and more clients. And yes. I'm like, it's actually less and less clients and more and more value and more and more private attention. We have no more than 10 to 12 clients and we're keeping it that way. But because I charge enough of a monthly fee that you're paying for a parking space in a very small parking lot in a very nice neighborhood with me. So you're paying to be in my inbox and be for me to be available to you. But you know what? I know your kid's name. I know your dog's name. I know exactly what your goals are. I know when your kids start school. I know far too much probably than your accountant ever had about you because I'm in tune with all of these and how they connect to your goals. And I actually care. And I think a lot of accountants are like me, but they work for people who are volume players and factories and other things. And that's where there's an incongruency in our career paths where it's like, you can be an accountant and actually care and actually run a business designed to serve people individually and not just churn out tax returns. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think the there is a, there's been a push for this type of accountants by a couple of organizations, you know, like the American Institute of Certified Tax Planners. There is mm -hmm. other couple of organizations that do that training. But overall, there is about maybe 2,000 accountants in the U.S. who are progressive, who are like like us, out of about 80, that was 70,000 accounts, 68,000, I think, uh, CPAs in the, in, in the country uh, or tax preparers, I can't remember, but only 2000. So your chances are, if you're listening, you're one of the 916 clients. And the reality is that nobody spends two minutes additional a year thinking about your business, right? No, that's, that's what, um, if you were to divide that by like number of days in the year, they think about three different clients a day and you get a third of a day of their time in the whole year. That's like, that's crazy to me to think about and go, that's a couple hours they're ever even thinking about you were doing your return and that's all they spend on you in a year. And it's, it's really important. They see you financially naked. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a, it's a relationship that you want to have with somebody who you can trust and you can go to for advice. And if you don't have that person in your corner, then, and that's okay, but just know that it's worth the investment. It really is. Yeah, absolutely. We see you financially naked. I like that. I like that a lot, actually. It's true. Social security number, your bank account number. We got access to all of it. Like you, We have seen you financially naked. There is nothing you can hide from your... Well, <laughs> there's plenty you can hide, but it won't serve you very well to uh, to hide from your tax preparer or your CPA. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, and tell, tell us a little bit about who is your ideal client for your practice, for your business. So I look at it as a founder who's growth-minded. I actually joke around and say I love inbox zero people because we know there are two types of people. There are the inbox zero and the inbox 700,000 unread emails. So I love the people who are responsive, engaged, who are enthusiastic about their business, not just like chugging along until they sell it. Like they really want to invest in growing it. My ideal clients in the low seven figures. And primarily we work with professional service firms. We work with um, anyone in the service-based businesses are really easy for us because of obvious reasons. Inventory is really tough. Sales tax is tough. It takes a lot of time. So we're able to deliver that value a lot faster for service businesses. Awesome. I love it. And um, one of the questions I ask uh, all of my guests is typically if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, what would be the one thing you say? If I could talk to my younger self, 
Um, I would, <laughs> let's, it depends how young, but I would tell her to, well, A, I'd say, listen to your dad. Listen to your dad, whatever he says. I did listen to him, but I would say definitely listen to him. And I would say, trust your gut more. Trust your gut more. Because if it feels a little bit weird, like our intuition is pretty powerful. Even when it comes to accepting clients or when it comes to making decisions, like you always know when it's a little uneasy of a yes and you're like, I'm going to regret this. <laughs> I agree. I absolutely agree. Um, you know, we will have different father figures. So uh, definitely I'm with you on that. Um, and I, you know, what's interesting is I never, I don't want to say never, but for many years, I didn't believe in intuition. Um, you know, and I had a little bit of an experience, um, 20 years ago, you know, been kind of gone through all of the healing part of it, been in in an abusive relationship. And and then about three, four years ago, four, probably years ago, I read this book called the gift of fear. Um, it's by Gavin DeBecker. And I think that this is the book that every parent of a teen and every teen, probably 16 plus should read. Um, it talks about violence. It talks about, you know, it's, it was written by Gavin DeBecker, who's had his firm of protecting. He was in the Secret Service and stuff, so they evaluated threats and all of that. It's very, very fascinating read uh, based on true stories, of course. But what it gave, what it did for me was, was what you just mentioned. It gave me the permission to trust my intuition. And I'll kind of briefly um, tell you kind of, you know, before I didn't trust my intuition, I was trying to explain it, which is what most people try to do. They try to explain it intellectually. Um, But fear, you feel, you feel fear. And that's why it's called the gift of fear. You feel fear when, because your brain picks up signals that you don't realize you pick up. Because when a crime happens or violence happens or anything else, um, and I apply it to business, um, anything else happens it happens twice, once in the brain of the perpetrator and then in reality. And so because it happens first in someone's brain, you already see the signs. And sometimes you just don't understand that you see the signs. And so same thing in business. Um, you know, I used to explain every single decision that I've done, that I've made. But now I, if I just feel something, I just go with it. And it, it's both in life and in business. Yeah. I think our brain tries to protect us with thought and trying to make everything logical. Like, well, that doesn't make sense. Let's just stay safe. Let's just do what we're used to doing and stay in our comfort zone. We're good here. Like, why you got to rock the boat? It's like our brain is like this dude on a lounge chair (laughs) with a pina colada going, why you got to, why you got to change things? We're good. We're good. And, um, and we have to actually, we have to actively defy what the brain is trying to do to protect us sometimes and and actually run with like, Hey, my gut says that this probably isn't a good idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I really, I really resonated with what you said uh, about that. I would definitely probably tell myself the same thing if I could go back in time and talk to my younger self. Um, so it's really powerful. Um, and so, um, Shannon, as we wrap up here today, how can we, how can people listening connect with you, find you and talk to you? Absolutely. So best place to find anything about me or that I put out there is keep what you earn the podcast. It's on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, all the places. And, um, and that's the number one place to find me. I'm also pretty active on Instagram at Shannon K Weinstein. 
Awesome. Thanks so much, Shannon. It's been a great pleasure to interview you. You're a great guest. I, you've shared some really good stuff and I've resonated with a lot of the things you've said. And I hope that people who are listening have learned some lessons and will not do things that will piss off their accountant. Thank you. All right. For everyone, uh, thank you for watching. And I hope to see you next week for another great episode of Talks with Tatiana.